Hello, everyone. Welcome to God and Other Delicacies. I'm Nicholas D'Augusto. Thank you all for being here. I hope this show is finding you healthy, safe, and sane, wherever you are in the world. Today, I have the privilege of welcoming Utkarsh and Budkar to the show. Utkarsh is a professional actor, writer, rapper, and musician. He has a fascinating career in film and television, having done roles in The Mindy Project, Pitch Perfect, Ride Along 2, Barbershop, The Next Cut, Blind Spotting, and Mulan, among others. And he's got some massive projects on the horizon, like the film's Free Guy, starring Ryan Reynolds, Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson, and Godmothered, starring Isla Fisher. And he's credited as a writer in the new star-studded animated musical series, Central Park, for Apple TV+. Regarding his music, he currently has released three full albums and has more on the way. You can find them under his name, Utkarsh Ambudkar, at iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you get your music. Utkarsh and I met a long time ago on the film Rocket Science, and it is an absolute honor to get to hang out with him again today. Welcome to the show, Utkarsh. Hey, Nick. Great to hear you. You have a very soothing voice, my friend. Oh, thanks, brother. <laughs> I'm glad, you know. Yeah, man, it's fun. It was fun to discover this, right? Actually, let's talk about that right away. You know, you and I were talking a little bit off mic about how you discovered rapping and music, hip-hop, when you were very young. And I want to hear a lot more about that, but you inspired me to say that right now because, you know, this is something I, I sort of discovered later in my life, how much I love well, not hearing the sound of my own voice, but I'm glad that I have an outlet where it fits some weird idiosyncratic part of myself. And is that the way you relate to your music? Is that something that came out of you really, really young? Yes, exactly. Sort of, I had a tape recorder. For those people listening who were born in the 90s, there were these tape recorders. They were cassette <laughs> tapes, and you put them into this big, hunky piece of metal or plastic, and it would record your voice, much like a voice note on a phone now. And as, for as long as I can remember, I had a tape recorder in my hand and I would sort of sing songs that I made up into this tape recorder. Um, and music has always been my point of expression or my the way that I've expressed myself and the dreams that I've had weren't getting Oscars or acting on camera so much as they were performing in front of dozens or thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in some sort of musical form of expression first like i was big on 90s r&b so i was like very much wishing that i would be in the next boys to men iteration hmm. but that sort of changed and and also as somebody who felt whether justifiably or not you know i'm i'm starting to learn as i grow older that a lot of my feelings of being an outcast and a misfit may have just been in my own head truly hmm. um oh man we're going to get more into that i i look forward to hearing more about that that's a cool piece of insight you know, you look back on things and you go, oh, man, I really was an outsider. And then you and people are go, what are you talking about? You were well liked. You had friends. I always considered you to be one of the most I mean, popular is a very general word, but one of the most well-known people in school. But that being said, like the music was was a way to get attention as well, because I felt like I I didn't fit in. So when I sort of picked up this habit or this proclivity towards rap, which is to say, like, I would just look around the room and it doesn't sound like a very fancy skill set. And it's it's not when it when it starts off in the gestation period. Freestyle is basically like, look at the log, stinky like a hog, funky like the fog, oh, barking like a dog. But like I was sort of like able to just look around the room and make it rhyme. And people seemed to like that. So I stuck with it. And so music also became a form of expression to get attention. And later in my career, much like how you found with the podcast, uh, as you said, off mic, you know, our careers ebb and flow. And I'm not a superstar actor. I've never been a star actor. I've never starred in a movie or a television show. I am what you'd call like a character actor or a journeyman actor. And I've had great success doing that. Uh, but I've never been given the mic as an actor and been like, go for it. I've always been there to support someone else's journey. And as such, I need a place to have my own self-worth. I need a place for my own self-esteem and my own expression, which is unfiltered and uncensored 
and has no no casting director, no director, no nobody's going to ask me to do an accent. Nobody's going to tell me, ask me if I'm comfortable with nudity or whatever it is. Like because you're clearly naked whenever you rap. Yeah, I'm in the booth on my own as God made me. No, but <laughs> no, but you know your podcast. You get to do whatever you want with it. You get to speak in whichever voice you want to speak in and there's there is control obviously but there's also a great freedom in that you know i always tell people who ask for advice as an actor and i've been a working actor my first movie was rocket science which we did together so i was 21 so that's 15 years ago and i've been working in some capacity ever since then and i just tell people like find something that you truly love that you can Pour your heart and soul into it. Doesn't have to be creative, although everything is creative. If you look at your life like it's a canvas, then all of it is creative. But like if it's horse riding or archery or you know knitting or whatever it is, it's raising your kids, raising your kids, memorizing the encyclopedia, whatever it is, something that is not predicated on someone else's evaluation of who you are. Well, we're going to get into a lot of that stuff, man. I think it's beautiful, and I I sense this. And it was such a sweet, I've had this experience with other friends of mine who I remember really enjoying being with a long time ago. And Utkarsh and I ran into each other at an audition before COVID-19, I guess, officially shut everything down. And it was just a moment of like, right on, man. Hadn't seen you in a long time. And we got on the phone and kind of it was instantly into a a comfortable and natural rapport. And that's just, it's a beautiful feeling for me, especially as I know, as we're about to get into something really exciting, you know, talking about things that I think are really exciting and to hear you jump right out in the show and just talk about these really beautiful, thoughtful um, reflections, I think is great. And I want to just say, before I get into the other stuff and officially kind of quote unquote, start the show, people find your music everywhere, right? Where I would love and really appreciate support and get a lot of support um, already because all the music I make is independent. There's no labels involved or bookers or anything like that. Just search my first and last name, Utkarsh and Butkar, on wherever you get music. And I'm coming out with new music on almost a, you know, a three-month basis. I'm working on a brand new album. I have two albums finished right now. I'm just sort of strategizing or figuring out how I want to release that music. So there's always new music to be heard and enjoyed. Or, or disliked, whatever you want to do. Um, but any years of any kind, discerning ears are always welcome. Well, that's beautiful, man. And I will definitely drop links in the description and, um, and all that stuff. So it'll make it easy for people to find it. What'd you have for breakfast this morning? Um, I had some sort of granola thingy. Like we have some clusters, like post cereal. I had a bite of my daughter's bagel with cream cheese on it, which... She knows I don't like cream cheese, but also wants me to enjoy the things that she enjoys. Oh, right. So, so is she always shoving her food in your face and be like, sharing is caring, Dad? Basically. <laughs> she's like, have my bagel? And we're like, I don't like cream cheese. And she's like, bite? And I'm like, oh, all right, let's go. Give me this one, one bite. So I had a bite of their bagel and then a couple cups of coffee, and here we are. How about you? Oh, what did I have? I had a leftover Beyond sausage. Do you like Beyond Meats? I can't say that I do, but I eat them way more than someone who says they don't like them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Do like, you have any vegetarians in your house? Is your wife vegetarian or anything? She's a, She doesn't eat red meat. So a Beyond Burger or Beyond Patty or whatever they are, any sort of like red meat substitute. Any, there's a lot of uh, bird food in my house that we eat. <laughs> well, I, I yeah. became mostly, I became technically a flexitarian. I don't know if you've ever heard that name, but the term, but basically it's just a way of saying like, I occasionally eat meat, like mm-hmm. special occasions, but I've basically 99% given up on meat in my diet. And so I eat lots of fake meats. That's great. Yeah. Which is great. Not, I mean, I'm not trying to push that they're entirely, uh, without fat or calories or sodium, you know, but it's been really, really good for me. And uh, I love it. And anyway, my wife is really cool about it. She still eats meat more than I do, but she is very cool about cooking all that stuff. And we cooked up some Beyond sausages a couple nights ago, and I woke up and discovered that there was still one there with some beautifully grilled uh, sauteed, you know, peppers and onions. And I just shoveled that in my face and I went out and cleaned the yard. So that's what I did this morning. Oh man, sounds amazing. Yeah, it was a little bit of domestic bliss. All right, so dude, let's do the big thing here. 
How and when were you introduced to the idea of God in your life? You know, I know this is your big question, and the simple answer is I don't remember. I have, you know, I just have vivid images of, you know, I guess I grew up Hindu in some regard. So you're always in the temple. My dad's mother is very religious. The concept of God escapes me. You know, I remember talking to the stars as if they were, you know, my family members who had passed away. Mm. That had to have been in my early teens. Yeah, I'm not I'm not really sure what God is or was or what it's ever been to me. I think I've always just agreed to not know. My concept of a higher power has deepened, has drastically deepened as I've gotten older. I've come to rely on a connection with something greater than myself to function in many ways. But I think if I'm being honest, like the the tried and true connector for me has always been music, has always been the expression of spontaneous music making. I think that's been the closest I've ever been to God. I can't, I can't really say when I was introduced to it though. My parents are both scientists, so I don't know that their conception of God is really based in any kind of faith, like Orthodox faith or whatever. Was your grandmother, did she live in the States? No, she still lives in India. She's a Jain. So it's like a, it's an Orthodox Hindu. Jains, they are very strict in their practice. They're vegetarians, but they also don't eat any root vegetables because there's microbes and insects that could be harmed if you eat onions, potatoes, carrots. So they eat legumes like beans and rice. They, she, cabbage also, I believe. I can't quite remember her diet. That is a restricted diet. Holy moly. They don't eat after sundown. I'm not sure why. And she prays like all day. She's super religious. And it's funny because my dad has a little bit of that in him too. But for the longest time, I didn't even know. He prays every single day. I had no idea. And I walked in on him one morning and he was praying. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm praying. I was like, how long have you been doing this for? And he was like, every single day. I must have been like 22. That's amazing. I had to to have been, it was like way past the point where I should have known. It was late teens, early 20s. Why do you think that that was like a thing he just was happy to keep to himself but didn't feel like he had to press onto his children? Uh, If you know my dad, it's very characteristic of him to have his own sort of private practice practices that he doesn't feel the need to impose on other people and they or even share with other people he just kind of does his own thing he's a i don't think that he's a private person i just think that in his mind he's like it's it's very if you know a scientist anybody listening knows a real scientist not someone who fell into science but who has pursued it from day one it's very uh, apropos for that scientist's mind to just sort of do things methodically that keep your own instrument working mm-hmm. and to not have them be, uh, it's not even, he wouldn't even think to impose that upon anyone else. It's just what he does to keep his own instrument working. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It makes perfect sense. It's not, it's not, um, I'm not the scientist you're speaking to obviously, but I, I certainly, yeah. You know, if you asked my dad, if you said, why didn't you ask me to pray? He'd be like, why would I ask you to pray? (laughs) And you'd be like, okay, I guess (laughs) that's, I, you're right. Why would, I don't know, because maybe I'd want to be like, oh, well, I didn't even, I didn't even think of that. I don't, I didn't think about your desires. (laughs) It's like, okay, then cool. Was there a moment for you where you thought, wait a second, did I miss I think what's interesting about this is, so there is a pretty common thing that happened in the early 20th century when uh, the generation of my grandparents were either born, the first ones born here, my my side is Italian, and so they came over, my great-grandparents came over, and they, they established their kind of cultural practices, but my grandmother's generation, the firstborn, did not want to pass on the language to my father, that kind of stuff. So uh, all these old traditions started to wither quite quickly. 
Is there a part of you right. that when you began, when you discovered that he had this access, maybe that he was participating, he had this, he has all this access, right? To your, to his childhood and the observances of your grandmother that you only see from this distance. Is there a part of you that wishes you would have known more about those practices? Not that it would have changed who you are or you feel like it would give you some insight that you don't already have, but is there just, do you miss not having some of the traditionalism or having an access point to it? And, you know, I appreciate you sort of being polite and saying not that it would have diminished anything, but it it, it is the choice that immigrants have to make when they come to this country. They don't have to make it, but many of them do. And I think my parents made the choice to assimilate. Mm. I think that they felt like putting me in a environment where I was meant to be like trilingual and bicultural would have been too much. I think they decided that it would be too much to ask of me to learn Hindi, Tamil, Marathi, English, to be in the in the U.S. with Indian values is a lot. And I think they came to the U.S. in many ways because like they were progressive. So they also were two people in their late 20s, early 30s in a brand new country in the in the 80s in the U.S. taking it all in, like really excited to be here. They didn't just come for more financial opportunity. They came for cultural exploration. And that being said, like when you are South Asian American, there are different levels. You know, if you look brown on the outside, but, you know, wear boat shoes and vote Republican, you're a coconut. You're white on the inside, brown on the outside. Like if you don't mm. speak the mother tongue, there's judgment there. There's there's a lot of different levels to being Indian and South Asian in this country. And yeah, like I do wish that I had more of a grasp of the language. And I feel like I have a strong sense of the culture. I grew up Indian. I am Indian. There's no denying my skin color or my culture. I'm proud of it. I've been to India many, many, many times. I try and connect with my family as, as best I can. But I'm, you know, I am not. I think the only thing I miss is the language, the the religion and the mythology and the history of the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita and Krishna and Ganesh and Ram and all those amazing, the, the Ramayana, those stories are like my childhood, right? They're mm -hmm. like better than Lord of the Rings. They're better than Avengers Endgame. Like they're the dopest epic stories you could ever imagine. And I got to grow up with those. So the only thing I really miss is the language. I wish I could communicate better. Do you primarily, of the ones that you feel like you can you can communicate in best, you can you communicate in one more than any other? Or did you get a little bit of each? Yeah, it would be it would be Hindi, then a little bit of Tamil, but then Marathi, which is what my dad speaks from the place in India called Maharashtra. It's like barely anything for me. So, yeah, I wish I could speak four languages. Are you kidding me? I'd be like, you know how cool it is now to be like, hey, man, I speak so many languages. But no, that's not <laughs> For <me>. sure, man. <laughs> that's, that is decidedly not who I am. But that's okay. I don't, you know, it is what it is. Udkarsh, this is where we're going to take our first break, okay, man? Cool. All right, we'll be back in a minute. At times like this, it is necessary that we ask ourselves what is worth talking about, what is worth listening to, and what we each can do to make the world around us better in our own small way. Discussions revolving around a person's beliefs and perspectives on God are something I personally can speak to, and my intention is to create a space where our deepest feelings about God and life can be expressed, heard, and better understood. That is one of the motivations behind God and Other Delicacies, and it is my humble hope that it contributes to the positive side of the cultural ledger. It is my intention to continue to create opportunities here for the presentation of those ideas that are different than mine, so that I can listen to them, come to understand them better, and hopefully discover ways in which I and each of us can participate in fostering communities that are ultimately more fair and loving for all. All right, everybody, we're back with it, Karsh. And 
I feel like I'm skipping a little bit past your childhood, and I want to get back to that because I, I like to spend a little bit of time there asking maybe some of your early formative stuff. I mean, something you've brought into the conversation already, which is, of course, it would come into the conversation because it's such a defining aspect, is your father's immigrant status, your brown skin, what that those experiences you had, whether they were negative or simply just made you self-conscious at certain points. You know, those are defining, and I want to hear about that stuff if you have those things. Mm -hmm. But one thing, just regarding the spirituality stuff, when you would see your grandmother, it would be you returning to India with your family, right? Yeah, totally. So those stories, when you talk about the story and the and the love of those, of the rich, you know, religious tapestry that you were raised in, are those things you primarily got from your trips when you would return to India or are those things that your parents would sort of educate you on at home? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination, right? And we had friends too who were, we had, you know, my mother, my mother and father, they got really lucky. Like there were people who they were very, very close to in India who had moved within sort of a five-year span to the U.S., to Virginia, to New Jersey, oh, Pennsylvania, wow. Ohio. Wow. Boston, New York, and they had kids that were my age. And so I grew up with my mother's best friends, children who became my close friends, who are still my close friends. And we've all grown up together. And so we all sort of had varying experiences as well, but but we celebrated those things together. And then of course, when you go to India, you're immersed in a culture that is simultaneously sort of infatuated with Euro and Western pop culture, but also has a really deep and rich history that it's very proud of as well. So it's, it's funny. Like I would go, it's a mixture of both. Like I could talk about that for two hours, but it's like, a, it's a mixture of both, which is the short answer. Well, so let's go to that early, those early stages again, that I kind of referenced earlier. And let's also put on another layer of how did the young you begin to make sense of this dawning awareness that you have access to an identity that fits in this rich, massive, historical, cultural place halfway around the world, but your home and what you understand most is, is uh, you know, Baltimore and surrounding areas, Maryland's suburbs, when do you start articulating that for yourself? How does that dawn on you? And, and how, do, how does the community around you make you feel it? Yeah, I mean, you, you sort of said it. Like, my experience was very much shaped by my environment. Like, in my home, I was happy, confident, free. You know, I didn't have a concept of, like, being Indian or American or whatever it was. Like, I ate spaghetti and I watched the Mahabharata TV series, mm. and it was fine. Now, the environment that I'm in is an environment, and this is something that is, for people listening, like, it just is what it is. I'm not, I don't feel sorry for myself. There's no self-pity here. It just is what it is. And if you haven't experienced it, then just try and listen with an open mind. I don't want your pity or anything like that, but it's very difficult in these situations with podcasts and interviews when we express ourselves from a vulnerable place, all I ask is that you listen and try not to judge because I don't judge it. But the environment that I grew up in, we're talking about the early and mid eighties in the, in Maryland. And there were no South Asians in media. And usually we, as, as Americans, we learn about places based on how, what we see in movies and TV. It's just, it, most people do. And at that time, there were no South Asians on television or in film. If they were, they were depicted in ways that were not me, right? So there was a lot of ridicule based on mainly that Simpsons character, Apu, hmm. about being a slushy boy and this, that, and the third. So you go out into the world and you're like, whoa, these people don't like me. People also didn't really know what an Indian was. They were like, are you black or are you Native American? And nobody said Native American, by the way, in 1988. Hmm. They said Indian. So, like, what are you? Are you? And um, there were racist comments and and prejudice. And I was not a tough kid. I didn't fight people physically. That's just never been who I am. So I needed to find some other sort of survival mechanism. I'm very proud of my name, Butkar Shambutkar, but nobody knew how to say it. 
a lot of people still don't know how to say it. And it took me 35 years to be patient with people trying to learn my name. But at that, you know, people would say what they say. So you grow up with a lot of like uneasiness. So how do I sort of combat that, I guess? Because I, I was too young to understand what acceptance meant. So I guess I became funny. And then you develop some skills. Oh, I can rap. Oh, I can make these people laugh. Oh, I can make up songs. I can sing. How do I just fit in? How can I get in with these people? And a lot of that comes from self flagellation, self ridicule. Oh, I'm a slurpy boy. Oh, here comes the 7 Eleven King. Oh, here comes like, I'm the Turbinator. I don't think I ever said that. That just popped into my head, but it would have been really good. That's but, really um, good. I but mean... I would just sort of attack myself. Sure. They were already feeling it. So they would laugh too. And self ridicule became my defense mechanism. I'll say it before you can say it. I'm a clown. Somewhere in the middle of high school, I started to feel really itchy about that. You know, people would be like, wow, you're really talented or really cute or really uh, good at comma for an Indian, right? Mm. So it's like the same thing of like, wow, you, you're really good at basketball for a girl. It's like that same thing mm -hmm. of you're like, it's understood that you're not as, like you're very cute for an Indian. It's understood that you'll never be as attractive as a white man mm. or never be as talented as a so-and-so. But for you, for your lower level, you're very good. And then I went to NYU for college and the full flip side happened. I went from being respected in spite of being brown to being heavily fetishized and exoticized for being brown, both at acting school and in New York City itself. And I, you know, it's it's run the gamut of being like, whoa, we love yoga. We love chicken tikka masala. Your culture is so beautiful. I have Om tattooed on my neck. Like, gosh, I just oh, I really want to go to India. Like you guys, you just, you haven't figured out. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. I mean, I visited my grandma. I just go to visit my grandma. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> but I'll take it. Shit, it's a lot better than being called a fucking Slurpee boy. I'll, I'll put on a Korta and put on some beads and act like I'm, I'm hip. If you guys think that's attractive or if you like that, you know, I've, a lot of it was just trying to fit in and figure out. And as obviously at a certain point in life, I think most of us just get tired. And whether it's family or we make enough mistakes or we sort of start to define our self-worth and self-respect a little bit stronger, we get a stronger sense of identity. For some people that comes much younger. For me, it came has come later in life. Yeah, and you just sort of let that all go. And you're like, I'm brown, I'm Indian, I'm American, I rap, I play guitar, I like pop, I like hip-hop, I do comedy, I studied Shakespeare. Like, I'm everything. What do you want from me? I can't fit in your boxes. Just mm -hmm. leave me be. That's powerful, man. And, you know, it's not lost on me that there's a certain sense of exhaustion when I describe it or when I explain it. But, you know, there's also... The flip side of that is a deep, there's an appreciation and gratitude for all the experiences. And I'm in, you know, I love my life and I love where I'm at. So looking back on the discomfort is difficult, but I, I, I appreciate the opportunity to sort of like look back and then also look at where I am right now in my home and, and um, be happy for, for where it got me. You know, you were talking to me about feeling like an outsider when you were young and then some sort of dawning realization that maybe other people didn't think you were an outsider and that you're like trying to grapple with this. You're doing self-reflection, right? And you're going, well, I have this feeling of being an outsider, which is clear. You just told a story about how people made you feel different, how there are differences between all of us. Your differences were, were stark in certain ways and, and people, defined you that way rather than looking past this basic difference of skin color or, you know, where your grandma lives. And one thing that I, I wanted to ask you now is after you've told that story, do you have a different way of thinking about 
that thought you just talked about with me like 20 minutes ago where you're going, I wonder why I thought I was an outsider. Does that strike you at all? Like this kind of reflection right now? It's true what you just said. Like maybe I'm, I wasn't an outsider and I wasn't. I was very gregarious. I had a lot of friends. I was well-liked. If I look back at it, like I received awards in high school for acting. Like I was, there's these contests in your high school where they like vote for the most, you know, popular dudes or whatever it is. I was in those contests. Like I went to parties. Like I, I, I realized looking back that most people in high school feel some degree of that insecurity. That's just what it is. And as children, and people were dealing with all kinds of things. You know, I was dealing with being a South Asian American, but other people were dealing with like death in the family, divorce, like siblings in rehab, uh, mm. you know what I'm saying? Abuse. Like there's so many things that we go through and then we go to school and just pretend to be somebody. You know, a lot of the identity that I'm talking about, I realize now has sort of been imposed. It's been imposed by like, like I came up comfortable, right? I'm good. I, I've, I've had my, my bouts with depression and anxiety and feeling ostracized. But like generally, I've always gotten through that. Like I went to clubs, I battled. I've been on, you know, I was in Freestyle Love Supreme. We've performed everywhere. I've, I've opened up for Public Enemy. Like I've acted, you know, in a, in a lot of, like I said, like supporting roles in, in great theater, television, and film. I've been very, very fortunate. And I think this idea of like being on the outside also has a lot to do with like the question that I get asked a lot, which is about diversity in film and television. So there's like two different things happening. There's the experience that Hollywood has put on me, which is like, well, we're hiring a white guy for this role, or eh, you're a little too hip hop for this. Like you're not you're not nerdy enough for what we're going for here because we see South Asians a certain way. So then I start to go, wait, am I that way? Hmm. When in point of fact, like I'm uh, this other thing, I, it's a really good question, man. I, I'm having trouble answering. No, it's very, I appreciate you trying to tackle it. I, I, my particular brand of brain plays tricks on itself. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I, I think I know that feeling. Um, I don't want to extrapolate too far, but something that served me as an actor, I didn't, I didn't know what this was when I was younger, but I always liked lots of different kinds of people. And I, I particularly liked people that were idiosyncratic, had really fun, deep passions about interesting things that I didn't know about. And right. what ends up happening is when you when you can go hang out with the people that are in the quote unquote popular groups and go out to the parties, but you also feel equally as comfortable, maybe even more comfortable in some ways in this other group where it's idiosyncratic and you're a quote unquote nerd or outsider. Misfit. Misfit. Those things I can understand. I can connect with you on that. Obviously a massive difference is you were at times made to feel an outsider and you did develop coping mechanisms. Whether or not you can look back on it now, and you clearly do because you, you speak with power over your past and you have this success and, or, success doesn't matter, but you have, you have a reflection back to you of your, of your artistic value. But you know, you have stories of racism in your past and from what I can only imagine, because it's, I can only imagine it, that sets you as an outsider, whether you're popular or not. And I can only, I can see the struggle uh, as you try to, and you're not the first person to talk to me about this on this show. I've had a couple of other friends of mine. Um, a friend of mine, Joe Holt, black man, grew up in North Carolina for a section of his time. And he talks about that feeling of like, you know, the girl who wants to date him wants to go to the dance with him, but she's like, my parents won't let me go with a black guy. Oh yeah. And I it's forgot like, about, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. You have of that course. experience. I, yeah. For on both sides, I have the dating somebody whose father was from the South who, who was really displeased with 
her and I being together. And then on the flip side, me being asked to go to prom by a, a white woman in a neighboring town in Maryland, which is notorious for still waving Confederate flags. Mm-hmm. And my parents telling me that I couldn't go for the sole reason that they felt worried about my safety, mm-hmm. given how racist the town was. So, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I think I think that's what we're getting at to some extent, or that's what you're reflecting on. And I don't want to try to act like I have some way to sum this up for you, or I don't want to try to sum it up for you, you know, but I, I just wanted to reflect back to you that this is what I'm feeling as you're telling me this story. And it's, these stories are really powerful to me because I get a chance to live inside your experience for a little bit as right. you talk to me about the confusion. I mean, really, the confusion of the situation is still just reflected even in the way you're trying to kind of sum it up today. It's hard. How do you articulate the things that you are popular, you are successful, people did uh, respond to you in positive ways, you have continued these talents that you clearly have and brought them and expanded upon them and have been able to make a career out of it in multiple avenues and yet at the same time, the definition was one of difference and yeah it's it's wild man it's 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 like a you know nick and i did a movie called rocket science right and i was 21 and the role was i think the character's name was ram or raj or ravi it's a, one of those three if you look at my mvb like i've got like 17 of the same name i'm mm. sure but that was a an indian role for like a kind of cool, hip, young dude that Jeffrey decided to write, maybe because he grew up with somebody like that. But that role for the one Indian, like we all must have auditioned for it, right? And there weren't that many. Like there aren't that many in 2004. There are not that many 20, 21-year-old Indian actors in the U.S. So I got that role. So on the one hand, it's like, the competition pool is smaller, so I get more chances, but the chances are far fewer, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So there's like 10 people going out for five roles as opposed to you who won that role. There's like 500 of you going out for 500 roles. Totally. I, that's right. I mean, there were certainly, certainly there have been a lot more roles for people that look like me. And now the, now it's different, man. Like, you know, you're right. Like I'm still, I'm confused right now. I'm, I'm sort of, there's lots of different ways to look at it. There's the professional way, there's the cultural way, there's personal, there's looking to the past, looking to the present. There's a, it's all perspective. It just depends what angle I want to look at it at. It can look dark. It can look bright. It can look good. It can look bad. It's my choice really at this point, which is the real gift because mm. I can, you know, I'm not in it anymore. I can choose. And again, faith and God or a higher power has a lot to do with that. My One of my mentors texted me today and he was like, how are you today? And he's in the hospital right now. Mm. Uh, and he's like, "How?" but he's reaching out to me. How are you today? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've done my meditation. Like I'm feeling locked in. And he's, what, let me just look at his text real quick. Because the way he worded it is, I think, magically spot on for what you're looking for here today. Sure. He says, are you completely willing to let your God show you how awesome you are today? And I was like, dude, you are the man. Hmm. Like, are you willing to let not God, your God, your own concept of a higher power show you how awesome you are? Not show you what's bad, what's wrong, what needs improvement. Are you willing to let a loving, universal power, are you willing? Can you entertain the idea that you are freaking awesome? What a, what a cool way to choose to look at the world, right? Or to look at my own experience. And I have to be reminded of it. This is not natural for me. I wake mm. up in the morning and I'm like, are you kidding? This again? Yeah. So that it's very helpful. 
that's I think it's appropriate for the name at least of this podcast, oh, right? No, to bring that that's, up. That is spot on, man. Spot on. Super cool. Well, it's a beautiful way for us to go to uh, our last break. All right, I'll be back in a minute. God and Other Delicacies has a weekly newsletter. If you'd like to subscribe, email me at godsdelicateshow at gmail.com and I'll put you on the list. Also, if you're listening to this show on iTunes right now, I'd love it if you scrolled to the bottom, hit five stars, and wrote a one to two sentence review. It really does help the show reach more listeners, and it means a lot to me because I read them, and it's nice to read nice things. All right, everybody, we're back with Utkarsh in our final segment. And one thing that you've talked about is you have these really large influences in your life, but there's a, it almost feels like there's a one degree of separation. You have a father that you discover in your early twenties is praying all the time. You have a grandmother who is this very orthodox version of her specific religion in India, but none of that is something that you were steeped in that was baked into you. So you kind of get to make choices about what this is, what you want to respond to. You talked about music being the anchor point for that. And it sounds like music would have been, might have been that for you, whether you were raised in the Orthodox side or not. But when do you begin to articulate a spiritual framework for yourself? It goes in and out, right? Like I'm remembering before shows in high school, I didn't know what I was doing, but I would lie on the stage uh, on my back by myself in the dark and I'd look up and I'd sort of like visualize myself going up through the ceiling of the stage and up through the sky, through the clouds, into space among the stars, right? Some real hippy dippy stuff. I had no concept. I just was making this up as a 16, 17 year old or 15 year old. And now I know that that's like a form of visualization and mindful meditation. I had no clue I was doing it, mm. but like, Finding the quiet space has always been something that I've naturally gravitated towards. And, you know, in those quiet places, you can hear your intuition. And I've always sought to discover that that space. And, you know, it, it happens all over. You know, it happens in nature. It can happen right now, sitting in a chair, if I allow myself the time to really like slow down and get still. And then, you know, I dabbled in psychedelics in college, a mm -hmm. lot of them. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. opened That's up. That's not called dabbling, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I practiced psychedelia or whatever it is. You're right. It's not dabbling That's at all. A, no, no, no. That's a, I just love that. I love the I love the phrase dabbling in it. I get exactly what you're doing. I it's just it's just lovely that just directly after you said dabble, you're like, listen, no, I, I did a bunch of it. <laughs> yeah, let's I exercise my right to do drugs. And that opened up a whole different Pandora's box of thoughts and you know, everything it turned inward in a way that I think was unhealthy for me. It became very self-centered as those things tend to, for some brains, that's how it works. Mm. And then, you know, it's changed a lot recently. Like somebody told me that the God voice is the quietest voice you hear. And you're like, everything's going bad. What should I do? I should run. I should scream. I should, I should spend money. I should uh, call her. I should text them. I should fight. I should... I should eat. There's like a quiet voice. Usually that's just like, just put your hands on your knees and take a breath. Mm. There's usually the quietest voice. The one that's saying the loving, the loving thing is usually my God voice. And it is very hard to hear. So I have to get still to hear it because the rest of the noise can be cacophonous. There's generally one quiet pocket with a very quiet voice telling me something very nice and that's usually my quote-unquote god voice and music also i've come to realize that the inspirations that i get as a musician and even as an actor i do a lot of improv where does it come from where do i decide to improvise an entire rap you know that party trick that i talked about 
in high school got me on Broadway this year, you know? Mm -hmm. I know we're in COVID times, but like January of this year, I was on Broadway with my best friends and people I love and admire doing the same thing I was doing as a 13-year-old to get attention. But, you know, where does that connection come from? Spirituality starts with just sort of asking the universe to remove my difficulties. For me, that can be impatience, anxiety, like a hypersensitivity to sound. Maybe that's some sort of ADD. I don't know. And to be present for my kids and for my wife and the primary relationships in my life to keep those healthy, calm, peaceful, loving, supportive, genuine, warm, and to provide me the space to be of help and of service wherever I'm needed in my day-to-day. And that's not major. That's not like saintly shit. That's just like if my wife is like, I need 15 minutes to do a workout with you. Then it's like, okay, like, don't get it twisted. I'm not over here like curing world hunger. I'm just like putting a yoga mat down and stretching because that's what, that's how I connect with my family. And also like what I just shared, to understand that there is a loving universal force that is conspiring in everyone's favor. So if that's true, whatever happens, whatever job I don't get, you know, the basement floods, (laughs) like (laughs) the sprinkler system breaks. That sounds very specific and real. Did that just happen to you? The basement's floods, our garbage man the other day, the thing that, that picks up the bin and puts it in the truck, knocked down a power line. So we got a power line wrapped around a tree right now. Wow. Like all of right. these things that you might consider tedious, why me type of stuff. It's all part of like a bigger plan for the good, right? These things, for me particularly, like I've grown up in the bubble of childishness for a long time. I've maintained this sense of like, childlike wonder but also what comes with that is a lack of responsibility and so every time a power line drops or a basement floods or the dog gets sick or whatever it is it's all an opportunity for me to grow into being an adult and being self-sufficient in a way that is actually really loving towards myself and allows me then to look in the mirror and be like whoa you are a grown-up good job buddy Mm -hmm. and then the work acting music whatever what have you like as you said very eloquently like maybe on off mic, there's an ebb and a flow. I've been taken care of no matter what. Everyone's healthy, safe. There's food in the fridge. It's okay. What's the in-between period? Tell me a story about, did you get your spirituality from your parents? Doesn't sound like you did. No, no, not at all. You don't have any siblings, it sounds like either, right? No, I didn't. No, I don't have any siblings. I got, look, I had a concept of spirituality as a kid, for sure. As a teenager, you know, I spoke to my ancestors in the stars. I laid on the stage. I visualized success. I set lofty goals for myself. I wanted to be a professional actor by the time I was 18. I had goals. I wanted to be on people's 25 under 25 list. I wanted to Mm. do a lot of stuff. Um, And then I found ways to deal with my hypersensitivity and to dull my emotion and my experience that were chemical. And I relied on drugs and alcohol to measure my experience and keep it in check, at least I thought, right? It works for a little while and then it stops working. And sort of when I put those things down and dedicated myself to a different life, essentially when I stopped drinking and doing drugs, I like my spirituality kind of like woke up again. I was like, Okay, cool. Like, I don't have those things. Like, I was praying to the altar of booze because that's what was keeping me, Mm. what I thought, 
safe, but that didn't work. So now what? And as a result, like I've come to have to rely heavily on my spirituality because just because you take the booze and the drugs away, like that means the volume is back up to a hundred. So, whoa, 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 whoa. How do we deal with this? And there's lots of practical ways that, um, that I've learned. And, you know, sometimes that is like getting on my knees and lowering my head just as an act of humility, a physical act of humility to bring myself down to earth. And I don't know what I'm praying to or who I'm praying to or what it is, but if you are feeling overwhelmed and you kneel and bow your head, there is a sense of relief that comes with that physically for me of just like, cool, I'm not running the show. Like I cannot go to the ocean and stop the waves from crashing on the shore. I am not God. And maybe that's all that I need to know. Because if I know that I'm not God, then I'm able to move through the world with a little bit more humility and know that I can't control this person, that person. I can't control anything. All I can do is is move and practice and exercise a muscle of acceptance, which allows me to be at peace with what happens around me. And then, like I said, listen to that quiet voice that isn't saying much, truly. When the power line falls, the voice doesn't go, Oh, open up your eyes to God as you see him. He is an all-powerful being that loves you. The quiet voice just says, call Spectrum. <laughs> like, it's not... It, 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 it ain't that it's serious. A, like, a very practical the other God. voices are going like, this sucks. Like, how could the guy do this? This isn't my problem. How do I fix this? I don't know how to fix this. We're going to get electrocuted. We're going to get in trouble. Like, I don't know anything about cable or power lines or whatever. Like, no, the voice just goes, you don't have to call Spectrum. Hmm. And that's it. Or whatever, L-A-D-W-P, whoever I called. So it's, it's simple. I complicate everything. Just like I complicated my childhood. by look, Like, it's all very simple. It's simple. And when I can accept the simplicity of it and not complicate it, then then I have more time because I'm spending less time worrying. And I, you know, I just want to make clear, I don't, because for some people they might be like, yeah, obviously you call Spectrum. That's the obvious answer. I just, and I don't want to be flippant about it, but these types of things used to cripple me. Like I, I was incapable of, taking the basic actions of self-care that a lot of people take for granted. And maybe I envy them in some way, but I had to sort of learn how to deal with the discomfort of not knowing what to do. So my own personal little God voice tells me to call Spectrum because that's what I can handle. Other things, like when I get on stage in front of hundreds of people or thousands of people, like, that's my safe space. For some reason, that is something I can do very naturally. But these basic sort of day-to-day things, calling the plumber, like getting a pump fixed, fixing things myself, those are very difficult. And like I said, engaging in positive, actionable items around those fears helps me sort of build faith in myself, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Um, And I appreciate it. You know, Nick, it's it's just, I just want to say it's really nice to be able to like uh, share with you in this way. It's been a long, long time since you and I were connected in any type of way. I was, um, you know, I was 21 and I think you were 24 at the yeah, time. I was 25, yeah. You were 25, which might as well have been 50 to me. <laughs> yeah, right. I was uh, like, like somehow Aaron, you and I were the old <laughs> gris- yeah. grizzled vets at 25. <laughs> Right. And it, it was, you were somebody who was so connected to the work. You were really well prepared. You learned how to play. You know, I recall that you learned how to play the banjo for the movie Rocket Science. But you were like, you were well liked by everyone. And I admired you in a lot of ways. I was very, I felt more connected to you, as I recall, than anyone else in the cast. Mm. Like you, 
you were very kind and welcoming. I was playing kind of like a villain on that movie. And I think as these things go, people click up kind of how they are portrayed in the film sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely felt to to speak to the pattern that I've, I'm obviously showing, I felt like a major outsider and an outcast on rocket science. And it's such a pleasure to be able to talk with you because I've kept up with you over the years. Obviously, Anna and I did Pitch Perfect together and uh, I haven't spoken to her in years, but um, I have a fondness for her because of rocket science. But like, I've kept up with you over the years. Like, what's Nick doing? He was super... Like, I really enjoyed spending time with him. I hope he's well. You know, your success and your happiness has been something that I've been invested in from afar. It's really sweet, man. Thank you very much. It's super nice to be able to chat with you. I don't know if, uh, I, I wonder how we, we're different. You know, you seem more, you seem very similar to then, if not more grounded, mm. you know, but you, you always... Yeah, I think I'm very different from the person that you worked with when uh, 15 years ago. It's interesting to like to reconnect in this way. Yeah, I love it. You know, and I so I'll just say like um it's very sweet to me uh you know, when I this podcast is like it's so special to me. Um and we talked about like finding this place that you can um, express an artistic or creative impulse that feels so important to you, whether or not it's all that important to the industry at large or to the world at large. Of course, I'd love for more people to love the podcast, but honestly, I do it because it's every time I have this conversation, it brings love into my life. It brings presence into my life. It helps me understand myself a little bit better. In this way, you're, you're reflecting something really beautiful back to me about that I lived well in that moment when I was 25. I I was never, I've always been anxiety prone. I've always been insecure about things. Um, you know, I certainly was a people pleaser at, while I was young. I don't like it when people don't like me. It's not to say that I'm sinister in being nice, but I don't like it when people don't like me. So yeah. I get uncomfortable. So that's an honest truth. I, I I like harmony because harmony makes me feel like I'm okay, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, same. So I appreciate that, you know, you have those positive memories of me from that time. It, Again, it's not that I was being, I didn't have ulterior motives in getting you to be my friend. I just like being nice to people because I like it when people are nice to me and like me. And yeah, also like there's no, so if a, if people pleasing is, uh, as you're saying it, like a defect of character, we have those for a reason. Like if, if, if me at 21 feeling left out, is made to feel better because your character defect is to people please. Like, who have you hurt? Yeah, right. That's nice. Like, if, if you're just like, I want this person to like me for selfish reasons, and I'm like, I don't care. I just want you, I want somebody <laughs> to talk to who's nice to me. So, like, really, what have you done to what, what harm have you caused? And I think that's like where you see these things that they're assets as well. They're that we keep we hang on to them for a reason because they, you, your whatever need for harmony, which I share by the way, yeah, was, which is probably why that was such an uncomfortable experience for me because I felt out of harmony for whatever reason. I think it's because at that, at that age, I faked the funk a lot. I was very keen on people knowing how cool I was and special I was. Oh. I think I was very like, I don't just act like I rap and look at my music and I would never do it now. But me at 21 was the kid who would like pull out the guitar and start singing my songs to people. Well, that's, I appreciate your candor in that, you know, being honest with yourself. You you might be overly harsh, but I, you know, from my perspective, you had a, you had a difficult uh, 
position, right? Like um, you were only on set for a short period of time and, you know, you would kind of duck in and out. Like you get to be with the group, but then you weren't there for a long time. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to feel a part of the, of the group. It's hard to feel a part when you're just not physically there. Yeah. And that was the tough thing is I was physically there, just not on set. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, that's right. They brought me there. They flew me there and they were like, you're here, you're in Maryland and we'll use you as we need you. And it was like, okay, well, I guess I'll go home or visit some college buddies and I guess I'll go to the beach. Like I was like, I guess I'm on vacation unless you need me here. But yeah, you're right. I was, I was in and out. But I think the difference is now that me at 21, I was like, I'm not a big part of this cast, but I want you to know that I'm a big person. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I, I want you to know that I'm not just this side character. you got to see me for, like, all of my skills, and I'm going to throw them in your face. Yeah. Um, and maybe I didn't. I can't quite remember, right? It's all foggy. Here's what I appreciate about what you're saying is, is that, and I think, again, I think I empathize with this, which is you're not afraid to call yourself out. You might be overly harsh on yourself right now, right? Um, well, but, yeah, that, that's also part of, that's on brand as well. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you calling yourself out and, it, and you are a different person than you were then. And uh, you know where our essence is to some extent? You know, you are who you were then and I am who I was then. And also, that was 15 years ago, man. You've got two kids. You've got a wife. You've had an enormous amount of, you know, work done in between that time. We're talking about our childhood and sometimes wondering, like, God, it almost feels like yesterday. And also, it feels like, did that ever really happen? Yeah, dude. Did it happen? <laughs> Let me ask you a final question. It's a little, like, turning yeah. off this, but. Here's our bye-bye question, everyone. How do you want to talk to your kids about God, do you think? Oh, that's a really good question. We have a lot of religions in my family. My wife's mother is Christian and is a believer and goes to church. And my wife's father is, I think, a little more skeptical of religion, but certainly I think has the concept of God from the things that he's been through. And I won't speak for him, but his, his life is miraculous, mm -hmm. um, literally miraculous. My mother and father... You know, they pray to the altar of science as much as they do the culture of religion. And for me, I've found a God of my own understanding that I love and who loves me and keeps me in check. I, not in check, but keeps me in success. And I define success by, like I said, being able to do the little things in my life that help it run smoothly. My children get to believe whatever the hell they want. I just want them to know that they are not the directors of this life, you know, and as such, they need to respect other human beings' experiences. I want to teach them empathy. I want to always ask them to think about the other person's experience. What would it be like to be in their shoes? I want to raise children who are open-minded, accepting of others, confident, protective of those who were like me as a kid you know i want them to to be heroes truly i want to raise two modern day superheroes that that is my goal and mm, i like those superhero powers yeah i i want them to be vulnerable and and um and empathetic yeah i think that's yeah, and I, I believe in them, and I know that my wife is the same. So I, I have no no doubt that they will be special little humans, and it'll probably be have very little to do with me. Mm. I'll just try and get out of God's way and, and let God do with them what whatever God chooses, and I'll just support that. I think they're going to be okay. Ed Kars, this was really cool, man. Thank you. Thank you, bro. You're a great dad and I love you. Oh, man. I love you too. This is beautiful. Damn, this shit's beautiful. It's beautiful to reconnect and it's beautiful to share and I just really appreciate it. You're leading the way on your superpowers, man. You were vulnerable and you were empathetic during this call and, you know, that'll filter down to those kitties. All right, everybody, and thank you all for listening. 
I think that I'm a solid C to C minus lister. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that's a. I think that's fair for me too. I, I feel comfortable at C minus. I feel comfortable. Yeah, I would say. <laughs> I think I would say like maybe a D plus if, if it depends. But I'm definitely not getting like C plus. That seems too hard for me too. That seems- <laughs> <laughs> like, that's way, way, way out of my reach. Right okay, now. let's say we're both D plus. Okay. Okay. Cool. 